Welcome to this week's edition of Riff Raff News and this week we're going to be taking a look at Sir Keir Starmer's Newtown Showdown. And a brief look at um, the Prigozhin affair and the Ukrainian counter-offensive. So, Sean, uh, this week, news, and as reported in The Times, to give them the credit, mm. reporting that uh, Labour are drawing up plans for new towns and suburbs as the party really wants to build its way to economic growth. Mm. Um, it's a, it, when I read about this, it felt a little bit like uh, Biden's Inflation Reduction Act. OK. Uh, yeah, obviously yeah. on a much smaller scale. But yeah. anyway... It's not just houses, uh, in case people think new towns means houses. They're looking at onshore wind farms, nuclear reactors and other sort of green energy infrastructure. Yeah. And th on the basis that all these things, if they get into power, are likely to be fast tracked. Uh, Labour strategy teams see this as a blitz, as the sort of heart of a longer term plan to spend more on public services without raising taxes. And I read that and I thought, well, hang on, how does that work? Mm. Uh, but I guess what it means is that they're looking at the private sector to effectively fund this, maybe with some focused government support. Uh, but we'll see, see if that's possible. Uh, Starmer has said he's happy, which you may have heard this, to allow building on the green belt. Right? Mm. Interesting, because immediately that, that conjures up evidence of sort of trees being chopped down you know yeah. our green and present lands being turned brown but anyway and to what allow the, count what was the guy yeah, who, sorry what was the guy who lived up a tree what was his name stompy Stoppy, Swampy. Stomp, swampy. Swampy, yes. Stoppy. <laughs> stoppy. <His brother>. Stop. <laughs> That's what he used to shout. Swampy. He's, he's doing all right now. Swamp, swamp, Swampy's son is involved now. Is he? What's he called? Son name. of Swamp. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a horror film. Mud, mud. Seventies. Yeah. Sorry, I stopped you in your flow. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> anyway, so Starmer reckons he's going to allow building on the green belt and to allow councils with a shortage of homes, which I thought would be everyone, to be honest. Mm. But anyway, to draw up bigger plans for Q Soundbite, fewer, better developments oh. featuring transport, energy schools and gp surgery so infrastructure say, yeah yeah i have yeah. to say this is one of uh, i mean my my good lady is always looking at local plans in the village and mm. uh she, she's a little bit of a nimby but her biggest her biggest um thing is that why is it that when these developments are built the mm. infrastructure comes later and much much later yeah uh, it doesn't make any sense but anyway uh, that's the direction. Uh, he's due to make pro-building reforms part of his policy platform in the autumn. So we're coming up to conference season, so that'll mm. be interesting. Um, but he does acknowledge that he won't be able to pour cash into public services to kick the start this. So, as I said earlier, it will largely have to be funded by the private sector. And there's even a figure, which is interesting, because as usual, it's not clear if this target is based on how things are today. But the figure is to produce 100,000 more new homes a year. Mm. Now, it doesn't say more than what. No. So is it more than zero, more than what we're doing now? But anyway, that's the figure. Uh, the plan is expected to include a few national significant sites in areas fit for economic growth. And so people are thinking, presumably, of new towns in Cambridge, 
uh, the, and the M1 corridor around an existing new town, which is Milton Keynes. Although I did hear, I don't know if you heard this, that Cambridge are saying they're desperately short of water. Yes, uh, yeah, I heard that. Yeah, so yeah. they'd have to look at the infrastructure there. Mm. Uh, so, but it's not exclusively new towns. I think it's it's important. That's just the sort of cherry on the top of the cake. Mm. Um, the party are unlikely to commit to the own goal of a housing target like the Tories. And mm. just, yeah, we're going to do a few quiz questions as you you like the quiz. <laughs> do you remember what the housing target was before Sunak? Ditched it. 300,000, wasn't oh, it? Oh, that's very good. Oh, I try. Yeah, no. I try to keep up. Yeah. No, I do a podcast no, no. on 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 up-to-date current affairs. Did you know that? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I listened to it, Sean. Yeah. Um, and the the thing that, that I, I don't know, they're saying that they're going to respect... Um, the rights of locals to object, mm. but at the same time, going to be building on the green belt. Um, so I'm not sure to what extent NIMBYism would take over. This I is mean, one of the vi- problems that the Tories have faced, isn't this? Yeah, why they got is. rid of their, their targets. What, yeah, mm. exactly that backbank pressure. And it, the, I think, again, often helpful to say, well, I live in a street where across there is a, a, a green field that's used for agriculture. It's this, part of the green belt. This is outside the gates. <laughs> Thank you, Sean. Yes. Outside the front gates. And, um, you know, if that was to be dug up and used for housing, I personally would, you know, being selfish, prefer that it wasn't. But if it was, I would support it if it was for genuine starter homes, mm. affordable homes. I wouldn't support it if it was for another batch of executive homes, which is not where the need is. But that's that's micro, but you know, that's the point. That's my nimbyism. So what do I think about it? It all sounds good. We have to do something for growth. Uh, but with no new money, it's going to have to come from the um, uh, private sector funnily enough what we're looking at here is supply side supply side reforms and it's sounding a little trussite which is what i thought Mm. uh it's not a bad thing um if if labor can really sort this out but they'll also have to do something about the universally recognized defunct planning system and and also sort out the sort of blue rinse nimbies Mm. um but so that's that's where it is uh uh, again, another quiz question. So if 300,000 is the target, uh, what's the average uh, house building over the new house completions over the last five years? I've got a figure in my head of about 180. Was it about 180? Oh, you're on your A game today, aren't you? <laughs> I'm going to say round figures, you know, because you've got to say round figures. It's about 177,000. Right. Which is pretty impressive, Sean. Anyone would think you'd done some research. For <laughs> but the, the the charts available from ONS helpfully go back to what was an incredible decade in the 1970s mm. um, when the average there was uh, 327,000. So it can be done then when, when can be mines done. are... Yeah, yeah. But what was interesting is how the, the split into private and public sector has changed because the, the sort of average of 177,000 now mm. is 80-20 in favour of private, private. sector. The mm. 20 being mainly housing associations with a slither of local authorities, like 1-2%. Yeah. If you go back to the heyday of the 70s, 
it was mm. broadly 50% local authorities and 50% private with very, very few housing associations because they didn't probably didn't exist. No. Yeah. So, so the, the whole um, eco-structure of house building has changed in a relatively short period. We went, we went through this mm. period, didn't we, of, um, <clears throat> of the, well, f- frankly, uh, of the Thatcher government, the right to buy. And yeah, right the, to buy, yeah. The, the problem with the right to buy, as, as a lot of those who are now talking about social housing will yeah. say, is that... Yeah councils weren't allowed to uh, to use the proceeds to invest no. in new social no. housing um, no. over the years they built up these backlogs of, 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 of money basically um, but now they found over the last well for quite a period of time especially since um, uh, austerity came to play that they've had their budgets cut and cut and cut I know one particular authority um, Brighton who've had over a hundred million taken under the local budget, so they just haven't got the money there to be able to build social housing, or, or as they would have done in the seventies. So I think it's um, it, it's difficult to know, other than the private sector, where that money would come from. It's um, it, it is, um, but I, 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 it will be with private sector. So mm. let's not pretend it isn't. Um, so I guess there's lots of things at play here. So if everyone wants the private sector to come to the rescue. If anyone follows the big house builders, so Barrett's, Persimmon, hmm. Taylor Wimpy, uh, you'll be aware that they're all slowing down and have slowed down their build programs hmm. because they can see that demand because of interest rates has fallen off a cliff. Hmm. Uh, so even though this may be government policy and government policy may be to make all these greenfield sites available, the house builders might not come to the party until such time as interest rates have fallen and they can see that the public demand is there. So you've got that aspect. You've got, you have got this. I'm not sure how much greenfield would be required because we have discussed on the pod before the, the idea of brownfield, but let's just assume greenfield is a big chunk of it. I mean, how do you feel about that? If you've got some greenfield around where you live, how do you feel about that being devoted to housing in the future. Well, I mean, we we've got um, a large number of um, greenfield sites here that are being devoted to housing that are being built on at the moment. Um, right. There's lots. Are you of, in favour? Lots and lots of developments. Well, I think I'm probably in the same um, camp as you in that regard. Mm. That I feel as though if they're for young couples and their starter homes that I'm much more in favour of those than I would be for um, um, for executive flats or, or but I'm not I'm not convinced that they are affordable even the ones that they're building around here well that's that's true yeah because of the, the pricing but let's let's assume that there were more uh, flats and apartments so so you know somebody I, I was talking to the other day said well what about low rise like they have in Europe so maybe five or six stories mm. um, of, of well-insulated, eco-friendly flats. I think that's a good idea to yeah. make, make the most of the space. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'd be in favour, but not if they're going to be five-bedroom, three garages. No. Uh, sort of 750,000 a pop properties because no. it, it doesn't doesn't really shift the dial. No. And, and it, yes, I mean, it's just crazy, isn't it? The... Um, for young couples trying to... I would say, I, I would... Um, 
And I'm not normally critical of, of some of these uh, initiatives that Labour come forward with. Yeah. But I find, and it, it's a good headline, isn't it? They start talking about new towns, but yeah. they're not. The, you, you're talking about 100,000 build nationwide. We're not talking about new towns. We're not talking about a new Crawley or a new Welling Garden City here. We're no. talking about tinkering around the edges. They're not new. You wouldn't get. You wouldn't build one of those um, for with a hundred thousand new builds. It just wouldn't. It, it's not on the level that that a new town is. These are mm. sort of um, uh, settlements, if you want of a better word, rather than new towns. And I think it's a good idea that they have in, infrastructure, but maybe they'll be attached onto existing. Um, towns or whatever. the other thing that I would call into question as well is that uh, and, and maybe you'll be able to enlighten me on this but the the um, geography that you're talking about they all seem to be in the south of England again is there are there any plans for the north well they, there weren't any specific plans for the north um, but but this these these are policy sort of leaks I think as opposed mm. to policy announcements very light on detail but uh, and the only two places I saw mentioned were well, three: uh, Cambridge, M1 corridor, and around Milton Keynes, mm. which is probably a mix of the two. But but um, I think you just got to take that as an example. The gist I got was that there may be a smattering of new towns, but the real win is to get local authorities to club together because a lot of land spans boundaries mm. and. Um, not necessarily new towns, but make the best use of existing, um, maybe green, uh, maybe greenbelt, but existing space, and to produce decent-sized developments rather than thirty houses here or forty there, maybe yeah. five hundred to a thousand uh, yeah. elsewhere. I think the policy's got some merits, particularly if it comes with infrastructure and green energy, and I think you can rely on the private sector, but it's going to need some some public sector uh, capital mm. or forbearance in terms of um, taxation and everything else so uh, but it, uh, but at least yeah. it's an idea at least you can sort of see this as yeah okay yeah we're going to build back better or some dreadful it, it, slogan they're going to come yeah it's, in, it's intervention isn't it to a degree which um which because uh, they will have to give some sort of tax breaks to encourage the builders to get involved and also you were talking yeah. about getting I mean, the government aren't in control. I guess they're they're expecting mortgage rates to come down, which they will do marginally. They're not going to come back down to the levels that they were before, are they? I mean, I think no, most, they're not. Well, you know, who know. knows? But I don't think they will. Yeah. So I think there's got to be more than just an expectation that mortgage rates will drop a little bit and that the builders will all plough back into the market. There's got to be some sort of encouragement, almost like um, enterprise zones for housing, if you like, around the country. Well, exactly. Uh, the thing I'd love to see, which you never see with these announcements, maybe it's because um, the bandwidth for all of us is limited as to how much information we can take in, but I'd love to see somebody say, well, this is the forecast population of the UK. Mm. This is the housing stock as it stands today. And the number we need over the next 10 years is X, and this is Y. This is the way my brain is. Mm. I don't know. I'm mm. not everyone's like me, but I no, no. just like to see some. 
And then you'd know whether, if it is 300,000, that's good, bad or indifferent. But yeah. I haven't got a Scooby sitting here today <laughs> whether building 300,000 new houses a year no. is going to get us sorted out by 2033 or not. But politically, you make yourself a hostage to fortune by doing that, don't you? If you can just talk in vague of terms into, oh, we'll make things better or we'll make things... You, you're not then going to be pinned down in a few years' time to, to a target that you haven't achieved. Maybe. A bit like five priorities, isn't it? The five. Well, <laughs> there's only one that's in any way yeah. time bound or quantified. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it'd be quite nice you know, thinking about yeah, things that you'd that. like to see achieved and whichever party this is, it'd be quite nice to see them pull together um, uh, uh, like they did with the, you know, the, the bankers when they wanted them to help on mortgage rates. They called yeah. them all in and they came up with these. Um, yeah. You know, fantastic new schemes whereby the banks will talk to you about your mortgage. And if you think your credit rates. <laughs> yeah. Be nice if they could pull together the builders, you know, Persimmon and, and Barrett's and the people that you were talking, get them together into some sort of conference, maybe in camera so that nobody see, and then come out with a press conference afterwards and say, you know, we've agreed this is how many houses yeah. the country needs over the next how yeah. many years. These three companies have committed to, with government help, to doing that so that you could see, yeah. you know. These are the experts. I mean, there's a reason. Uh, mm. I mean, none of them are doing very well at the moment, it has to be said. Um, but there's a reason why they've been around for a long time and they know mm. what they're talking about. And they, at the end of the day, they're accountable to their shareholders, not not, um, not the housing minister. But uh, yeah, why not? There's, there's nothing to lose. Uh, but anyway it's a big idea and it's not a policy announcement it's probably a leak of a policy announcement so I'm going to I'm going to keep a keen eye on this and to see how his new town showdown plays out so a guarded welcome uh, it's been covered quite a lot over the last week guy but I just thought we'd have another look at some um, events in Russia yeah. and for that matter in Ukraine um, you'll have seen that um, Evgeny yeah. Prigozhin, who uh, yes. who is um, uh, or was Putin's uh, bet noir at the moment, yeah. Um, yeah. came to a sticky end um, in a plane crash just outside Moscow on the way to um, St Petersburg. So I understand. Yeah, Putin city. Yeah, along with um, unfortunately there were ten on board this plane, so you've got to feel sympathy for those people who weren't involved in any of this. So the the yes. stewards and the stewardesses and the pilots and what have you um, I don't think anybody will shed many tears for Evgeny Prigozhin and, and uh, the number two within the Wagner group but you've got to wonder what exactly is going on of course we've had a denial from um, from the Kremlin from the top man himself that they had anything to do with this plane coming down but, um, I mean, to put a bit of background onto this, I know our audience would probably be aware of this, but um, this was two months to the day that Yevgeny Prigozhin led this Wagner group rebellion, effectively, against um, Putin and, and marched on Moscow. You remember him yeah, coming up Without there? resistance. Absolutely. They're, they're being cheered of, to the rafters as well. Yeah. Yeah, it was funny, wasn't it? Because he uh, lost off on Don, which was the headquarters yeah, of, of, yeah. uh, of the um, military operation, the special military operation. 
um, was the first place that he took. And I, I don't know whether you remember the pictures that were coming in I of do. him having these two military men sat on like a balcony and, um, <coughs> excuse me, reading them the right act about how he wanted Mr. Shiogu um, to be brought down and, and face justice as he saw it but when he didn't when he didn't get them to come down um off they went to moscow and stopped some 20 miles outside so i understand mm. when he um he agreed with um mr lukashenko the guy who runs um the guy who runs belarus at the moment that he would pull back and that um putin would give him <coughs> excuse me effectively uh, asylum or allow him to have asylum in uh, in Belarus which is what we thought would be the case but subsequent to that he'd been flying all over the place and coming in and out of Moscow and apparently he'd had meetings with um, Kremlin officials on the day that this plane took off prior to so all very very strange um, albeit that um, the plane that he was in this Embraer executive jet now, we've got the Russian Aviation Authority looking at that at the moment to find out what actually caused this crash. This Impartial, um, of course. Well, <laughs> uh, absolutely. Yeah, you wouldn't want to be a high-flying executive in the Russian Aviation Authority if you... Not right now. If you deferred no. from, yeah, from the general consensus. But... Um, they're looking at what caused it, but it, uh, the Americans are suggesting that it wasn't uh, any form of uh, anti-aircraft gun, mm. that it was or anti-aircraft missile. That it was actually almost inferring that it was something that was planted on board the plane the before, board. Yeah, yeah, before before it took off. And Gosh. somebody was saying that there was a bottle, a uh, bottle, a crate of wine that was put onto the. They came actually. They they narrowed it down to that. Oh, I see. But if, it might be quite interesting, if the um, Russian Aviation Authority comes up with an accident, it's interesting to know that this Embraer executive jet has only been in service, that particular model, for 20 years. Yeah. And there's only been one incidence of any problems with it up to now. So we can probably rule out... Uh, mechanical failure well, or anything I, like that. I, I would have said so. Yeah. And it's very coincidental were it to happen yes. with these particular gentlemen on yeah. board flying out of Moscow that that, yeah. um, that a wing fell off. I mean, that's that's pretty poor, isn't it, in terms of mechanical failure, that yeah. a wing comes off of a, off of a plane. Quite unusual, I would think. Yeah. So I have a, I have a few questions that I thought we could discuss. Yes. Um this may sound um, a rhetorical question, but who benefits from Prigozhin's death, do you think, in this circumstance? Um, well, it depends. If, if, you, if you believe in what Putin says about um, forgiveness, he says, doesn't he, 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 he's been asked, does he forgive anyone any time? And he says he can forgive most things, but not disloyalty. Mm. So, so I guess if that is what he believes... Um, then he benefits in terms of how he's feeling at the moment. If if it was uh, an attack on that aircraft, mm. uh, so and then of course it it, it it to anyone else thinking about um, some sort of uprising or rebellion. Mm. If anyone's brave enough, it does show that it doesn't matter who you are. You know we can we can get you. Uh, 
So I guess from Putin and the regime's point of view, it, 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 you'd have to be, say it would probably quell an uprising. Um, on the other hand, you could say there's the potential of making a martyr out of Pogosian mm. uh, and that um, maybe someone more junior in the ranks would say, right, we've got an army. They might be a little bit dispersed, but we've got an army, so we'll... Mm. We'll take you on. Yeah, I, I, I'm struggling to to see who benefits, if I'm honest, other than mm. than Putin and the regime. Well, it's a strange um, situation, isn't it? And it, it's almost a psychology here that's at play because um, you're you're you. I mean, I would agree with you almost 100. percent You're quite right in what you say. But what I find really peculiar now is that um, if if we're suggesting that he has um, done away with him then but he, he still wants to keep this facade of being respectable um, in, in, in denying it and saying no it was nothing it was nothing to do with us and yet the whole principle behind it as you were saying just now is to effectively send a message that yeah, um, I think you know if anybody does this to me you know you, could, you yeah. this is what you can expect but <laughs> how many of the Russian people believe what is coming out of the Kremlin at the moment that they have nothing to do with it? I, I, uh, it's just I, I an interesting... Think, I would think the same proportion who believe everything else because they only ever hear one version, don't they? Mm. And after a while, that works. It's brainwashing, isn't it? But if you, you think, never hear the other side of the argument other than Telegram or whatever it is. You think that they... Yeah. But it, there are some things that you can read into the others that that, that I mean, the way Prigozhin has behaved towards Putin over the last few months wouldn't even those people in in the Russian public who believed some of the stories that were coming out in respect to the Ukraine special military operation itself even those people would be looking at this saying this is far too coincidental to be a an accident him him leaving so they wouldn't believe the denials yeah. would they and I think that they probably want. That's probably what they want. You that's to the message they want exactly. So yeah, then it's yeah. it's all the more peculiar that he's he's intent on having that facade that well, I'd never do that. And it's nothing to do with but me. Strange. That's part of the game. That's part of the game, isn't well, it? Yeah, I, I suppose. Yeah. So so moving on from that, where we you were talking there in terms of <clears throat> there's these. Um, these Wagner troops, meant to be 20,000 of them, I believe, that are yeah, kicking around. Like that. And, and they're, a lot of them are on the almost on the border with Poland in Belarus mm-hmm. at the moment. Um, any chance, do you think, of them, you know, somebody rising up through the ranks and taking the place of, of Prigozhin? And, and there's, uh, there's always a chance, isn't there? But he, he'd become such a big figure, such a character. Hmm. Uh, and whilst he'd done some terrible things, it, very watchable, mm. very listenable. Yeah. And the chance of somebody else with that charisma, that presence, that connection yeah. with the Kremlin and the seniors in the Kremlin, I think it's quite low. Yeah. And and I got the feeling because there's also part of the the army has been deployed in Africa, I think. Yes. Uh, yeah. So they're spread, aren't they? They're quite well spread. Mm. Um, I think there's... there's it's it's more to do with for me was is, is, if if there could possibly be any uh, faction force, I say political opposition. I know that's naive, but if there could be 
anybody or bodies who might be minded to mount a challenge mm. now would be a good time i suppose mm. because of what's gone on but i just don't i just don't see it and i think the only thing that would bring putin down and i know we're going to talk about this soon is if uh, the special military operation mm. call it that uh, failed dramatically and then i think he'd have nowhere to go yeah it's quite interesting isn't it because they um uh, i was watching a, a report yesterday that was saying that the um a load of these people in in Russia had their own private militaries. So this this guy Shogu, you know, one of the one of yeah, the, the uh, guy, yeah. he's got his own private military. Gerasimov has his own private military, and apparently really? there's two mercenary forces that are controlled by Gazprom. You know the the, the oh yeah, I've heard about that. Yeah, it's so, yeah. like Scottish Energy having its own <laughs> military wings. Well, they might have. You don't know, <laughs> have you looked? Well, I don't know. Yeah. yeah, don't don't be taking your meter down because they'll be, <laughs> they'll be round with their uh, <laughs> with their submachine guns. Oh, so yeah. but I, I I just find it all because this morning the news come through that um, that Putin has told all of these guys um, from Wagner that they have to take an oath to the state. I don't know whether you've okay. heard that today. I hadn't heard that. But. Which is, I think, one of the things he was trying to do when um, Prigozhin was alive. You remember, this is what started a lot of this, that yeah. he wanted them to sign up to be part of the mainstream Yeah, mainstream So a lot of them have left. I've read that. A lot yeah, of them have said, yeah. Or gone on to other... Um, mercenary groups. Yeah, absolutely. And there's one particular one that um, he would appear to want. There's a, and I can't remember the name of the guy, but he was um, he was uh, uh, Prigozhin's um, enemy, who runs a group called Redoubt, which apparently is another. But a lot of them filtered across because they all get paid a lot more than mm, the than the basic Russian soldier is being thrown into this. Um, Special military operation at the front. Um, the other thing that I think quite interesting is um, old our poor old Lukashenko is and his nose put out a joint a bit. He's been making statements saying that um, clearly he's agreeing with his friend Vladimir that he'd never do anything like this, but he doesn't want any of these Wagner troops to leave Belarus. He wants them to stay. Um, I think that's possibly because there's some. Uh, a there's there's some sort of um, argy bargy going on on the Polish border, so I understand, and that's where they all are. They're 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 up there at the moment. The ones who are in Belarus, and B his his um, he's not all that secure in his own position, is he? In in Belarus, he's um, he's looking at. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. You quite rightly you're talking about the Africa situation as well. Um, Putin needs to try and keep these guys on board because they are bringing in a lot of uh, revenue from Africa. So I understand as well. So who's going to pay their inflated wages from here on in as well? I guess it depends upon where they go or whether they can brought be brought back in as I'm sure these top military brass Gerasimov uh, uh, and Shiogu would like under the the mainstream of of the the Russian army. So that's where we are really with Prigozhin. Um, be interesting to see how that pans out over the mm. over the next few weeks. I, mean, I wanted to have a quick chat about the um, counter offensive because yeah. I think there's we we've, we've discussed this very briefly 
on pods before, haven't we, in terms of yeah, where we, we have. are. Yeah, we've taken a look, yeah. Yeah, and I think um, interesting to see that there are lines coming out now from certain uh, media sources that the Ukrainians have actually made a breakthrough um, mm. through Russian lines in, in the south near Zaporizhia. This is this is sort of fairly. It's not huge news at the moment, but they're they're suggesting that this this particular breakthrough could have um, massive effect over the next two weeks, which we'll have to keep our keep our eyes on and 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 see what happens. This, of course, is against the backdrop of pressure from the West to show progress. Mm. I think there's been a lot of pressure, and especially over the last few weeks. I mean, we looking at what's been happening in the states in the last few days the first um uh republican uh uh meeting where they all got together and all the republican candidates this is uh, uh, against the back with one of, notable exception with one notable exception yeah, yeah. the the orange yeah. man um yeah. The orange man was, he was otherwise engaged. Indicted, yes, that's right. And we've got mug shots of him, haven't we? But yeah, we have. I don't know whether you heard any of that debate, but there were with with the exception of um the governor for New Chris Christie, you know, the Chris the rather Christie, yeah. the rather yeah. rotund fellow who's yeah. been to uh, Kiev. He was over there with um Zelensky uh, probably yeah. about two weeks ago. All of them are talking about withdrawing support for yeah, Ukraine. So that would be quite worrying, I would have thought, for the Ukrainian authorities to think that, you know, by this time next year, we'll be looking at a presidential election in November that could change the whole complexion of what's happening. Um, so they, they need, in some fashion or other, to be able to um, uh, show progress. And, and, and that's what we're looking at. It's interesting what the... Um, uh, the Ukrainian general staff are saying they're, they're saying that they're consolidating their positions, inflicting artillery or fire, artillery fire on the identified enemy targets and conducting counter battery operations. And the Russian bloggers are actually saying that the Ukrainians are making progress. Um, they and they've advanced to the outskirts of a place called. Robertine. Have you heard of Robertine? No. Uh, well, if you think of the the Donbass, you know, there's that yeah. line where the, the, the Russian-controlled Donbass, and on the other side, obviously, there's Ukraine. It's about halfway down okay. that particular line. Robertine is just within Russian-controlled Donbass, and it's it's a routeway to the Sea of Azov. So oh, it would okay. cut off. That's, I think that's what they're looking at. It would cut off Russian lines to Crimea. And there yeah. also there have been loads of drone attacks in Crimea itself, which um, on, on Friday, Russia, the Russian Defence Ministry themselves said there had been 42 Ukrainian drones um, in Crimea, which seems to be the way they're both operating now, isn't it? That they're both using these um, these drones, which are having an effect mm. on on the battlefield. So it'd be interesting over the next few weeks to see whether this develops into anything or whether it just fizzles away. I, I can't help but feel that we're at a almost at a turning point for this um, this conflict because. With the winter coming on again, we're back into the situation that we were last year where mm. no progress is, is mm. made. And I think the Ukrainians had hoped to be 
in a better position, better negotiating position by the, the, the turn of the summer into winter this year, should that be necessary? So I don't know what you think on that. Have you any, any thoughts? Well, I, I haven't heard the military debate. I've probably read similar things to you. Um, I guess, you know, we, we, I say we, but the West has provided so much equipment and more latterly, uh, longer range missiles in particular with the HEMARS, the ATACAMS, the mm. Storm Shadows. Uh, you'd expect that to be making a difference. Mm. Um, I, I don't think you can rely too much on what's said in the media because no side is going to declare its hand and what it's going to do. You, you're not suddenly going to say, well, we're going to give it a go for two weeks and then take off. No, no, side, no. Because that, but but um, I, I found it quite interesting how the debate has moved on a little bit from the more ground and long-range missile equipment to the provision of the F-16s. Mm. And you do wonder, don't you, whether actually it would suit Ukraine to have a winter, I'm not say ceasefire, but it's a winter stalemate, to come back in the spring with properly trained pilots mm. uh, in these F-16s, I think 30 or 40 of them, which in my mind would make a difference. Um, so it's just difficult to make sense of it, but just the sheer amount of armaments that has been provided, you wouldn't be surprised if there was a breakthrough. And they say, isn't it, all conflicts in the end um, come down to negotiations. negotiations. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, you can just hope and pray that if they do have some success, that that would that would form the part of a negotiation. But going back to our conversation about Rogozin and Putin, I just don't see how he lasts a negotiated settlement. Um, how Putin? How, you think? You think? Yeah, that'd yeah. Be how? The how it, well. Maybe not immediately, but long term, no. surely, because it's anything but what he promised his countrymen after all the deaths, all the economic damage. Well, this is yeah. what happened to a degree. This is what happened to Khrushchev, wasn't it, mm. in the, with the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis, that he he negotiated this deal uh, with Kennedy, whereby the Americans, very little was said at the time, where the Americans took their missiles out of Turkey, and obviously he withdrew his nuclear missiles from Cuba but yeah. in much the same way within a year Khrushchev had, yeah. had gone yeah so yeah. yeah yeah so maybe that's where it's going so I, I'm no more clued up than anyone else I'm just no. using the logic of a period of time where the Ukrainians have had these um, improved armaments they've obviously had a period of experience hmm. uh, maybe they have broken through these what they call it the dragon's teeth defence lines yeah um, yeah and and maybe we will see some progress, but you know, it's probably going to only be progress to the extent leading to some sort of negotiation. So, do you think um, on that front? I mean, there's 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 a more quotes here from the head of Ukraine's defence intelligence um, about Crimea. Um, uh, the importance of this operation, first of all, is to make people believe. Uh, people not even on the territory of mainland Ukraine but in Crimea to remember and believe that victory is not far off and their liberation is not far off either. Do you think they honestly believe that? Do you honestly think that they think that they're going to liberate Crimea? Do I think they honestly believe it? Probably not. Um, but 
I suppose that's negotiation, isn't it? If you can behave in such a way that it looks a realistic possibility, mm. even if it doesn't happen, yeah, yeah, then it just helps your negotiating position, doesn't it? Mm. That's true. That's true. So, as we have done in the past, we'll keep an eye on this and um, have another chat about it as things develop. So, uh, in case you missed it, Guy, um, mm-hmm. I wanted to have a quick um, chat about the th- third division Spanish club, Malaga FC. Have you ever heard oh, of right. that? Yeah, I've heard of Malaga FC. Yeah. That's about all I know. But yeah. Well, well they're, they're, they're owned, apparently, by uh, Sheikh Abdullah Al-Tani. Okay. Um, who's a Qatari, so um, not Spanish. Then. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, bless them, um, supporters of Malaga FC have been pretty upset that um, the Sheikh hasn't been in the transfer market much over the right. over the summer, right. and um, wish to show their displeasure of this. And okay. they did that by putting they all put on their replica shirts. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> headed off down to Malaga Airport and decided that as individual tourists appeared at arrivals, they treat them as if they're a new signing for the club. So okay. they they all rushed up en masse to individuals <laughs> uh, <laughs> and asked them for their, their, their um, autograph. <laughs> and <laughs> it, um, it, it's all... You can actually watch this on online. You can watch it on oh, YouTube. Do that. Um, they they begged for autographs. Some of them conducted interviews, and um, some of them even asked those poor people who were coming through, who were going on holiday, whether they could give them a display of keepy uppy. And of course, these poor guys who were on holiday um, didn't know what had hit them. Suffice to say, subsequent to this, um, uh, the Sheikh, in his infinite wisdom, has gone into the market and bought players. Mm. And I understand Malaga uh, only just started, clearly, the new season, but are doing quite well. So maybe so this is, this is what we do need to do then? Well, this is... Absolutely. Yeah. You people go to power. public places. Yeah. So yeah. I haven't watched this. So the people who've been asked for their autograph, aren't they a little bit bemused by it all? Totally. Yeah, they look totally, Excellent. totally bejazzled. Oh, that's not maybe not the word, but totally um, out of it. They don't know what's happening. They're just set upon by all these guys wearing Malaga FC shirts. And they yeah. are predominantly guys. I don't think there's many, many no. women in there. Um, and totally confused. But very, very funny. It's worth it's worth a watch. So I would recommend that you get onto YouTube, put in Malaga FC okay. um, Airport and, and see what it comes up with. So um, we'll, we'll keep our eyes out for Malaga and see how they go. We'll, we'll adopt yes. them, shall we? Uh, we'll adopt them. Yeah. hope they go well. Yeah, and good luck to them. Yeah. Uh, well, Sean, in case you missed it, a um, bit of a crisis for wine drinkers. Are you a wine drinker? Well, I, I, I have known to imbibe on occasion. Yeah. yeah, OK. Well, France are really thinking hard about their investment of public finances and they're spending 200 million euros cool. uh, to destroy surplus wine to support producers. This is like the old wine lake, isn't it? Remember, it's a wine yeah. lake. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Butter Mountain, Butter Mountain wine, wine Lake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, it, that's what I thought. Reminisce. Yeah. Back to the good so, old days. So why are they doing this? It follows a period of overproduction mm. and sort of married with the cost of living crisis hitting the industry. So you've got 
too much wine and people cutting back. And also, unbelievably, wine drinkers beginning to tilt towards craft beer mm. as a trend. Oh, crikey. So it's not just in this country that we've seen all these artisan breweries no. pop up. It's happening everywhere. So all this has led to surpluses. Mm. So most of the euros, 200 million, will be used to buy back excess stock. And then with the alcohol sold for use in items such as hand sanitizer, cleaning products and perfume. What a waste. Yeah. What a waste of good wine. Well, I don't know. Does it mean that if you're cleaning the house, you'll get absolutely rat Is that how it works? <laughs> well, you you <laughs> Shake them back and... Oh. <laughs> well, I said... <laughs> and hand sanitizer, you know, you'll squeeze once a day. Exactly. As you, yeah. Yeah. I, I just think they ought to do like that. I mean, you remember when we had the butter mountain... Yes. Well, when they had the butter mountain, they used to be able to, if you were, if you you couldn't afford your butter, you used to be able to go yeah. to the town hall. Do you remember get yeah. cheap soft butter? Well, I think they ought to do that for, you know, maybe they ought to keep a load of this stuff at the job centre. Yeah. And if you can't afford a, you know, come into well, the job centre. Well, they could put it in that, that where down you live. You've got that fridge. Isn't we it? have the, the fridge. fridge. Yeah, yeah. The poor fridge. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? Like, well, I know com- you go community there every I get my bread from there. Yeah, just walking the dog and coming back with yeah. uh, a, a seeded bloomer. Well, I have. Uh, funnily enough, <laughs> funnily enough, that's exactly what I got this morning. We went, we went, and walked the Off dog the up at Victoria Park. Yeah, yeah, and we and we popped in at the community fridge on the way back, and community. I got to taste the difference. Sainsbury's Bloomer. So you must be, uh, you know, M- Mystic Meg, really. That's sitting downstairs. Yeah. So little yeah. cheese well, on toast tomorrow. You see, I know. Yeah, I've, I've got eyes on. Definitely yeah. got eyes on. But no so wine, anyway, though. yeah, so no wine. Yeah. So this is what they're doing. They're mm. they're they're buying all this excess stock, but also because there's not there's not just that they're doing. They're also making funds available, this makes a lot of sense, for the wine growers to shift to other products, such as olives, because olives are a big thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, so, uh, so maybe they're doing that. But, um, but th- this is interesting. So so the European Commission, they like their data, don't they? Mm, so yeah. this year, so the year to June, so 12 months, so June last year, June, they've got like a lead table of where wine consumption has fallen. Hmm. Now, the UK aren't in this league table. I guess it's because we're no longer in the EU. All our wine consumption's gone up. <laughs> it's probably, yeah. yeah. It's because of the summer we've had, everyone <laughs> plastered. So my quiz question is, if you think European countries, in this league table, which country has had the largest reduction of all in wine drinking? There you go. The largest reduction. Yeah. Hmm. It's not obvious. Um, I'll let you you have that. No. Um, Well, okay. Let's have a let's have a pop at this. Let's take somewhere that's completely that's that's completely off the wall. Um, The Netherlands. Not in the league table. I'll give you one more guess, and then then um, I'll tell you. Uh, in that case, Portugal. Oh, you're doing well today. Well done. Yeah? Portugal. But what's incredible is the percentage of reduction, which isn't explained in right. this report, 
But their wine consumption, sorry, not production, their wine consumption has reduced by 34% Goodness in a me. year. Now, can you, can you make that one? Does what that they, make any what, sense? What are they, I mean, the Portuguese, they're, they're turning... Uh, uh, they're yeah, well, they're, they're getting, they sorted their drug problem out, as we discussed on the last pod. Uh, we did. That's collapsed, and, and now they're not drinking either. It, it, um, I don't, yeah, what are they drinking instead? They're not drinking beer, presumably. Craft beer. Is it? Do you think that's what they're well, all What on? else do they drink in Portugal? You've been to Huddle in Portugal, haven't you? I haven't, no. Elgarth? You've not been to the Elgarth? No, I've not been to the Elgarth. Oh, well, we no. need to get down there. No, Dave's the guy who goes to the Elgarth. He's the one who goes golfing, isn't he, the... On the Elgarth, you know our friend yeah. Dave. Yeah, our friend Dave. I can't imagine yeah. they're all drinking stubbies of IPA down in Albufeira. No, no. Well, I, I, but maybe, I, maybe as you say, no drugs, no drink. Maybe hmm. they're all going down the straight and narrow. Younger people are drinking less. I know that. That's true. Yeah, I've not seen that personally uh, in my household. But, Does this uh, include alcohol-free wine? Then this, these figures. Um, I'm assuming not. No, yeah. But um, anyway, Portugal are at the top of the league, the wrong end of it, I suppose, yeah, if you're a yeah. wine producer. Other 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 countries on this league, very quickly, Germany, fallen 22%. France, big wine drinkers, 15% reduction. Goodness. Spain, 10%. And Italy, you know, Pinot Grigio land and all that, 7%. So these aren't minor, these minor figures. I think, personally, I think cost of living's got a lot to do with it. Um, I think uh, it somehow something has to give, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. Um, and you could argue about the rights and the wrongs of, of effectively subsidising um, the wine producers because you could say, well, why should why should taxpayers be doing that? But that's well, what's happening. Which is a strange, a strange decision, isn't it? Because uh, if you felt as though um, by reducing the price of of wine. Mm. That they'd ma- that they could manage to sell, you know, the, the more the more production, the the the, uh, the the more they sell, the more they take in. Surely, in that regard, I don't I don't really understand. Are they are they feeling? Presumably, the authorities feel that they wouldn't be able to sell everything that they're producing. Yeah, I think that what they're worried about at any is price. The yeah. Now, bearing in mind the intervention is only in France, the article mm. didn't cover other countries, but. No. What they're worried about is obviously one of their main industries, what they're famous for. Uh, many, many of the wine producers would go bust. As, as an aggregate, there is a problem. So you've got these falling consumptions. The, the wine, the European wine as a block, the industry, actually grew production by 4%. So you've got one of these weird things going mm. on where the market is saying, we don't want to drink as much. Mm. But the other side of the market, the supply side, is saying, well, we're not listening, have 4% more. Yeah. So market forces in the end would suggest something has to give, but that doesn't happen if governments intervene. So you've got this sort of imperfect competition going on. So was there anywhere in there that, that um, increased there on the figures that you've got that increased mm. their, their, you know, wine consumption? No, but I, do you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if it was the UK, joking apart. No, no. Um, because... Um, yeah. We we do seem to we're a lot more um I suppose the word is cultured in respect to what we we supposedly drink now in this country, aren't we? We drink a lot more wine and spirits than we do, I think, um beer as in the past. Yeah. Although as you said, the craft 
the craft beers that are interesting as well in terms of the wine market you've got all, uh, everybody and their mother seems to have set up a vineyard now don't they? i think cliff richard's got one and gary barlow's got one and yeah. uncle tom cobbley and what have you's got one so that's maybe right. that's why there's an overproduction yeah. um, in that regard but, uh, yeah, would you would you buy wine passed by Gary Barlow? <laughs> passed by Gary? <laughs> That's what they say, isn't it? Passed by... Oh, they're, they're right, yeah. Um, it's it, it, an old joke, isn't it? All oh, right, OK. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps I'll leave the jokes to the comedians. <laughs> but, it's the way uh, I tell them. <laughs> yeah. But it, 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 I suppose you could argue this, this, um, this intervention by France is one of the reasons that Brexit was so popular. Mm. Uh, because you know, in, government, your know, market forces would normally be at play, wouldn't they? Governments don't normally intervene, but I can understand why they would, because obviously the wine industry is such a major part of what they do. Mm. But things are changing. I mean, a completely changing tack. I, I, I found out this week, and I, was, I was completely alarmed to someone who likes a cup of tea, that coffee has now overtaken tea in the mm. country as the favourite cuppa. Yeah, that's not on, really, is it? Well, I'm a bit of a coffee man myself, so... Mm, exactly, I, I, so it's I, your fault. <laughs> I can't be bothered with all the faffing with tea and all, you know. The coffee, you just press a button, or where I am, you just press a button and it, and it comes out with, with your tea. Well, I've got one of these grind cup-to-bean machines where it grinds it, hmm. puts it with water and spits it out the other end in a cup. Then yeah. I have to do all this fiddling around with leaves and putting it into, yeah. you know, into strainers and all that type what of thing. What's the throwaway society? So you have all these capsules left over, do you? Do you put no, them in, no, your, no, 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 in no, the no. green waste or do you just put them in the bin? These are beans. I don't have capsules. Yeah. I don't, I'm a purist. I don't... I don't, I don't oh. I'm not... You know, none of this George Clooney rubbish. I, I'm, I have proper... Beans. Proper beans, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so you buy your beans and that, that goes... So is this one of those... not one of those machines that's... As you get to the end of it, it goes... It's not one of those, is it? It is, yeah, yeah. It is, yeah. You put your, you put your beans... I mean, it's not like the... Um, I used to have one of those machines like they get in these um, coffee shops, you know, like Starbucks, where you go... Yeah. And all this yeah. knocking out yeah. of all the grains... I haven't yeah. got any of that anymore. We've got no. uh, we've got a thing where you put the beans in at one end. Yeah. You set your grind level. Yeah. You put your water into a tank uh, yeah. on, alongside, and yeah. then you press a button, and it goes grind your beans. Then it forces the water through the beans, and it spits and out you your coffee. coffee in a cup. Wow. Yeah. So it's. Um, How often do you have to clear out the beans then? The grain, the the grinds, mm. yeah, yeah. Um, once every two or three days. Okay. Just take a take the thing out of the old canister okay. out and okay. shove it in your plants. It's good for uh, your plants. Right. Well, uh, plants, yeah, got a few plants. Yeah, mm. it's good compost. That's true. Tea. So yeah, okay. So I'm getting the picture. So coffee's <laughs> overtaken tea. So what we're going to do? Because let's face it, everyone knows in the UK and particularly England that when there is a natural disaster or a personal tragedy, yeah, you know, what's the first thing you do? Turns I, I'm sorry you've lost your leg. I'll put the kettle on. I'll put the kettle on. <laughs> yeah. First thing you do, isn't it? Well, it is. It is, yeah. Make you a, a, yeah. a, a cup of brew or a brew. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, we've got three minutes left. The warning's gone off. We'll put the kettle on. Yeah. <laughs> this conversation's gone full circle really isn't it yeah sorry it's nothing to do with wine but in case you missed it 
and then you, and in case you missed it, added bonus of yeah. coffee taking over from tea. Well, that's it for this week. We hope you enjoyed Riff Raff News. Please leave some comments on the app or on our Facebook page. And uh, please subscribe and then episodes will drop automatically into your podcast feed. 